Hello! And welcome back to The Snob Club, the podcast where we talk about the film that got the most Oscar nominations, but no wins at that ceremony. I'm your host, Danny Vincent, and I have two other hosts here with me, and we're all wondering what their names are. <laughs> 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 Who are you guys? How'd you get in this, this server? <laughs> I'm just your regular panhandler trying to sell apples, Caleb. You're topical. You're your apple. It was a reference to the movie. Wait, we watched the movie eventually. Wait, who's who's this woman in here? I thought we were just two white guys talking about. Yeah, you have a white woman too. Um, Oh great, that's diversity. I'm Sarah. No, I'm sorry, it's not. Truly, we are an Oscars (laughs) podcast. Okay. <laughs> My right. dog was just barking. I hope you can't hear that. Oh, I didn't. So you're good. Um, Before we get started proper, I, I need to address a complaint that you alerted me to, Danny. <laughs> okay, yeah, I forgot. Okay. So last week, or two weeks ago, when we recorded our last episode, we had a lot of interruptions. And so by the end of it, I was super tired and I was just trying to chug things along. So I didn't give feedback or an update to the snake situation. <laughs> um, the snake is fine. I just picked up the snake with my knife and threw him outside, like walked to my back porch and threw him outside. There's really nothing to be concerned about. However, I, I, I after we received some, some uh, feedback wondering what happened to the snake, I get it, but the snake is good, I assume. It was very small, very cute. I should have kept it. it I could hate our, our, cute uh, things. Pet. Uh, should we just get into it, do, or do we have fun stuff to talk about? I don't think so. I think this podcast is. I don't fun. think so. This is the least fun podcast. Okay, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna be really carrying the first two minutes of this podcast. Then I've got some historical context. Oh wait, 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 wait! But we don't know what movie we're talking about. I gotta do the intro part first. Oh yeah, yeah. We might want to tell okay. them what we watched. Um, all right. I'm I'm really so, off of it, guys. This year, this year, this week, we are at the sixth Academy Awards where there were three films that got four nominations. The first was Cavalcade, which won three. It won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Art Direction. Then Farewell to Arms won two. It won Best Cinematography and Best Sound Recording. However, the third was Lady for a Day, which got four nominations and won nothing. <laughs> Lady for a Day is a Frank Capra movie that released in some year with some person. I'm kidding. It came out in 1933. And obviously, it competed at the Sixth Academy Awards. It was nominated for. Do you want to say, Sarah, what it was nominated for? Because that's your yes. job. Yes. So it was nominated for uh, Best Picture, which lost to and it lost to Cavalcade. Uh, Best Director uh, for Frank Capra, and it lost to Frank Lloyd for Cavalcade, which is a funny story related to that. It should have been Little Women. I love Greta Gerwig. Anyways, best actress for <laughs> Mae Robson, who lost to her Bringing Up Baby co-star, Catherine Hepburn, uh, for Morning Glory. And then best adapted screenplay for Robert Riskin, which lost to Sarah Y. Mason and Victor Heerman for Little Women. Oh my gosh, I didn't know this. The, sorry, I'm done with Little Women jokes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right, now, Caleb, you antsy little person, you can give us the historical context. For Lady for a um, Day, which is a movie yeah, we're never going to so, tell you what it's about. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so this is there are two things that I think 
would have affected the way people saw this movie in 1933. The first one is that uh, Prohibition ended. And so this is a story uh, yeah. uh, about... <laughs> Yuck. Sarah, break out the I'm white claw. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was last week. <laughs> I'm not sure if um, they explicitly say this in the movie, but I read it uh, in the description to the remake of this movie. David the Dude is a bootlegger. Does not okay. say that in the Wikipedia description. No, so, it doesn't. It might all. just it, it might just be in the remake. But I like I kept wondering this whole time what kind of gangster he was because he was supposed to be a gangster. Just as gambling um, gangster so, on Wikipedia because we all know Wikipedia yeah, is so, where we get our answers for everything. Sorry, go on. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's just interesting that you know the end of Prohibition saw the end of the gangster age, or at least started to see the end of it. We started this with a podcast or with a with a movie that's like at the height of it. Now, you know, four years later, we're seeing the end of it. The other thing is that the depression kind of hit its peak during this year. And so I think that definitely informed how people would have seen a class comedy like this, um, especially with maybe, maybe a little bit more uh, escapism in how the uh, rich people are treated and a little bit more empathy in how the poor people are treated. Also, just a fun fact, the first drive-in theater opened up in 1933. I love drive-ins. They're wonderful. Boom. I did my thing. The The segment, which I regret doing every time I finish doing it. Can I give a fun fact about the Oscars? That isn't the one that I think Sarah wanted to talk about. It's a different one. It better not be. I know the one you want to talk about because it's on the Wikipedia page. But the other fun fact on the Wikipedia page is that this was the last time until last year that the Oscars covered two calendar years. Crazy, right? Mm. Yeah, because uh, this is the longest t- frame of time ever films could be nominated. 17 months from August wow. 1st, 1932 to December 31st, 1933. This is longer than the 93rd Academy Awards we just had because that just added two months to the year. So 14 months. So, yeah, it is the longest time frame you had to survive to win an Oscar. Do you guys want to give our general thoughts? Do we want to talk about Frank Capra a bit? Because Frank Capra is actually a pretty well-known director. What do we want to do first? Well, we have another Frank Capra movie in the works, right? Yes. This will not be the last appearance of Mr. Capra here. So we will only cover his career up to this point and right after. Because I actually do have something to say. And that's that, unlike these heathens who watched... A YouTube version of it. I went to my library and I checked out a DVD copy, which had an unskippable intro by Frank Capra's son, where he just goes. <laughs> That's what made yeah. me laugh. It was not skippable. I could not figure out how to skip it. Um, but he just goes, you know, this was nominated for four Oscars, but it won nothing. And I was like, That's our show. Frank, and I was like, Can we? and then Caleb was like, Frank Capra Jr., can you come on the show? And then he was like, Oh. He died in 2007. Oops. Oops. Uh, okay. Frank Capper Third is still kicking. Yeah. So we so, can get him. Uh, Sarah, get your, your tweeting on it. Okay. All <laughs> See right. See if he's on Twitter. Um, but what he did point out, and that was also, is that even though he won, he lost all these, the next year, uh, which we'll talk about more next time, obviously, uh, Frank Capra's movie essentially swept. It swept about as well as he could. It won five awards which is so it's the first we'll talk about it more next week, but it's it happened when I it was the first film to win Best Picture, Director, Actor, Actress and Screenplay all together. 
And the first film to have a shirtless man. Ooh, good job, <laughs> Frank. Waka waka. Good job, Frank. Uh, yeah. Anyway, now I'm like, ooh, we're we gonna talk about. It? Yeah, it won all five of its nominations, which is pretty crazy. So it's the opposite of this. <laughs> it's the opposite of Lady for a Day. I, I gotta wonder if uh, Sarah, do you want to tell your story? Because I think before I, I uh, preface your story, but I think this story might be why. Not not why, because it's it happened when I, it is a good movie, but it's like maybe people felt bad for Frank Capra because of this story. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's very it's it's definitely like a very it's a it's an Oscars gaff for sure. So basically, uh, who is the presenter? It's Will Rogers. Will Rogers presented the Academy Award for Best Director. Uh, when he opened the envelope, he simply announced, "Come up and get it, Frank." Capra, certain he was the winner, ran to the podium to collect his Oscar, only to discover oh, no. Rogers had met Frank Lloyd, who won for Cavalcade instead. Possibly to downplay Capra's gaff, Rogers then called third nominee George Cooper to join the two Franks on stage. All right. So, Lady for a Day. So, uh, all right. So, Lady for a Day. It's a movie. I'll be completely honest. Uh, my general thought on this movie is a uh, hot take. I think this is the worst thing we've watched for this podcast so far. Uh, I um, enjoyed Alibi more. I have a lot of know. thoughts on it and like how I would describe it. Um, I feel like one thing that I want to mention is that it's based on a short story by Damon Runyon, who also wrote the short stories that inspired Guys and Dolls. And I feel like you can definitely tell there's a lot of things that are very similar with Guys and Dolls. Um, I also think it has shades of like Pygmalion in it a little bit. Yeah, um, I can see that. It's definitely like a sort of a makeover story type movie, um, especially the beginning because she's like a drifter and she sells apples. Apple Annie is the main character, but she's not really the main character, I would say. Um, yeah, that's... Um... If we want to get my take out of the way super quick is uh, I think the most compelling character in this film is Apple Annie. Uh, I really enjoy the first half hour and then she weirdly disappears from the movie, even though it's entirely about her and yep. her deception. And then she shows up at the end to get a happy ending. And it's like, well, she's very weepy for the last hour of the movie. She's a little weepy in the first half hour, too, but it's a bit more justified in my opinion you know what i mean like yeah i, I get like i get where she's coming from type of thing you know entirely all right y'all i did not think that i was going to be the one going to bat for this but this movie's fine it's like it i is, thought it was okay i didn't say anything bad about it yeah it's <laughs> yeah blah, blah, blah. It's, just, <laughs> it's like the perfect it's the most perfectly whatever movie there's some fun stuff in it Nothing in it was like bad enough that I regretted watching it. Yeah. Um, do y'all remember? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it, y'all. I'm gonna mention feminist horror class yet again. Do y'all remember the last movie we watched in that class? What, was it one of the, the student movie? short films? I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Oh gosh. Was it Carrie? I feel like it was. It was Carrie. called Soulmate. Oh, oh yeah, because I left the first ten minutes because I was like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I, yeah, I remember that. It's so Soulmate is the perfect kind of movie to describe this movie. I've actually I talked about this on uh, a Hot Trash Unlimited episode too, of a movie that's so boring I forgot which episode it is. Probably Charlie's um, Angels. There are some movies 
No, I remember Charlie's <laughs> Angels. There are some movies that are so like they just breeze on past you. They leave no impact, but you're watching a movie and you like watching movies. And so it's fine. Those are soulmate movies. I guess this I hate watching movie. movie. I guess I hate watching movies because to me, the movies that I don't remember anything from are the worst. Like I prefer Alibi to this because I remember more of Alibi. The only thing I remember here is the ending, which I won't talk about till we get to it, but I have thoughts. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that's like offensively bad in this movie. In fact, I would say it's pretty well put together, all things considered. There's one part of it, I guess I just I should say one character that I loved, which I'll talk about later because I, I like him too. We've talked. About I him. loved we, him. We, we, me and Sarah text, and we don't invite Caleb to the text. <laughs> That's fine. I like being left in the dark. It's fine, guys. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Um, uh, <laughs> have we synopsized the movie yet? Uh, <laughs> All right. Oh wait, I have a hey, DVD I'll. back. Can I just read the DVD back from two thousand and one? Well, I guess. Sure. Uh, Apple Annie, a cantankerous New York City fruit peddler, has been pretending she is a high society matron and letters to her grown daughter now living overseas when her daughter and aristocratic fiancé plan to visit. Annie panics in terms to her best customer, Dave the Dude, a racketeering gangster. Dave and his cronies hilariously transform Annie into the grandest of dames and cast themselves on her, her entourage. Based on Damien Runyon's, guys and dolls, short story, Madame Le Gimp, Lady for a Day is a 20th century fairy tale and a really good movie, The Hollywood Reporter. Frank Cap. oh, okay, the rest of this is just fun facts. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the movie. So my contention with it is that she doesn't turn to Dave. Dave has a superstition that he has to buy an apple before making a bet. And so he just goes into her house and is like, Okay. Okay. I guess I'm gonna, uh, mm, I guess I have to turn you into this woman now because if you don't, then you're going to like walk off a pier or something and I'm not going to have someone to buy apples from. Uh, I don't think it's just that, um, kind of the poor people entourage is like, you got to help Apple Annie, Dave, the dude. Uh, I, I think it's that too. That's what I, at least that's where I landed more on it personally. I think I think he's at least justifying it by being like, I have to preserve my luck. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's kind of his whole arc is like he starts off being like he doesn't want to do it. And then by the end, he's like, I have to follow through with it. I have to finish this. It's an arc, something that Alibi didn't have. I mean, Alibi had an arc. <laughs> he it was a it was a guy who wanted to be in the glee club. But he decided to get drunk because oh he was gosh. stuck as a cop. <laughs> uh, okay, so the movie opens with opening credits. Where I got really excited to see there was a character named Dave the Dude, and he was our lead. Uh, <laughs> uh, what does the, the movie opens on Apple Annie? Doesn't it? It it opens like My Fair Lady. That's it. The opening is My Fair Lady. <laughs> And it cuts between like her in the street and then the club that Dave, I'm not sure if he runs it or if his girlfriend runs it, but he's there. And actually in my notes at this section, I have a note that says pretty dynamic cinematography, especially compared to Alibi. (laughs) (laughs) To be clear here on my Alibi thing is like, I think this is a better made movie than Alibi. I just got more enjoyment out of watching Alibi. I'm not actually defending Alibi here. 
Uh, <laughs> I know, but I'm going to keep bringing it up if I find convenient ways to shove it in. Okay, well... We have to have some content to this, and I don't think I'll have too I'll much. I'll have plenty of content about the ending. I think the first 20 or so minutes of this is the best part of the movie before we really... I mean, we meet Dave the Dude, but he he seems pretty irrelevant to our story initially. Uh, other than like, oh, it's a man who's in his 30s. That's probably our actual lead of this <laughs> in 1930. In the 1930s, uh, we're not going to... That's actually what I was most pleased about this movie, is that I don't think I've really seen an older, older movie with an older woman as essentially sleeve. I actually have a couple of fun facts about Mae Hobson. Is that Robson. she's actually... Um, she's actually one of the oldest actors ever. She was born in 1858. Really? So she was Whoa. one of the earliest born movie stars of all time she is also the first australian person to be nominated for an oscar oh wow! so would she have i'm guessing and you may not know this sarah but i'm guessing she got her start in silent films and then she survived the switch over to sound yeah yep wow, i mean that's i mean she started really her career impressive. pretty pretty late as well she's a stage actress then she was in yeah, silent films, and then she moved to talkies. That's really impressive, and I think it makes sense because she's good here. Yeah, she's she's the best. She's the best part of the movie. I don't know about that one. <laughs> she has been sending letters to her daughter. Letters and money, to be clear. And yeah, saying that she is a rich woman and that she lives in a hotel. And that is the best scene in the movie, is when she goes... Okay, wait, wait, wait. First off, there is a porter who... Can I jump ahead just very briefly? I thought the porter was going to come back and pose as her husband, and he didn't. And I was initially annoyed, but then I liked the person they got to pose as her husband, which we'll talk about when we actually get to that part of the story. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so she goes... Uh, she has a porter who delivers her letters from, like, like she, you know what I mean? Like, she, he sends her letters from the hotel and picks up her letters from the hotel. Uh, but he gets fired because he's caught delivering one of her letters. And she, <laughs> that was the one part of the entire movie I didn't like her, was when she was like, but what about my letter? <laughs> she's like, I, I'm fired and I, I have a wife. She's like, I gotta go get my letter. <laughs> uh wasn't wasn't super big on that part of her, but I also you know, it's whatever. She's an old lady. I'll give. I'll, <laughs> you know. Well, we all know old well, people get a pass in anything that they say or do. Yeah, I've been just she's in this an country. old lady. <laughs> she's an old lady, but also, I don't know. I felt like this film was very empathetic towards its poor people. Much yeah, more no, so no, I like that class comedies, and but I feel like that's. That and like the preceding scene in the hotel, it never shows her desperation as like groveling. She is like, she's not necessarily doing it with dignity, but you always understand her desperation. And so I can forgive moments like that, even though she definitely got this man fired in the middle of the depression. Yeah. Well, to be clear, uh, that's the only part of first off in the first 25 minutes I don't like. Uh, I think the sequence, the scene, both the scenes in the hotel are fantastic where she's just trying to get her letter. And, uh, and then later on where she's like, please just tell him I'm dead. 
I think both those scenes are really well done and she acts phenomenally in them. Relatable, uh, relatable content. Yeah. Uh, I want to live in a hotel. Should have been called the suite. Life <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, this should have been titled The Sweet Life of uh, Apple Annie. Uh, I don't know. Who, could someone else lead the storytelling on this one? I wasn't. Bi- yeah. I wasn't big on the movie. Why am I leading the story? <laughs> I was like, this movie's awesome. because you jumped into it. Um, don't let me do that. Yeah. Anymore. So <laughs> I think Dave, the dude, has um, has to set this deal, and so and he won't do it until he finds an apple or buys an apple from Annie. And so he finds out. Oh wait, wait, no. Annie gets the letter. She finally gets. Yes, yeah, so we didn't say it was daughter. in the letter. We didn't say it was in the letter. Yes. That's kind of important. Her daughter is coming with her fiance, who is the son of a Spanish count, and she's like, "Oh no, she's gonna realize I'm a fraud." And so she gets super depressed. She gets drunk. Um, then all the all the uh, poor people lead Dave to her apartment, and he's like, "Okay, cool." And that's basically where we get the setup for her being made over. Um, we also get my favorite part of the movie during this. Do y'all know who Ned Sparks is? Uh, uh, Sarah. Um, I, that I was think... my thing. <laughs> yeah. You uh... go first. <laughs> no. Okay. So he's not even really like, he's not even really like the dude's like right hand man. He just kind he's of just like kind a of lackey. <laughs> and he has the funniest deadpan in the entire, there's a scene where they go to this apartment who's like an apartment of one of their friends or whatever and he's not home so they take over the apartment and he's talking to the doorman and he's like he's trying to like threaten the doorman and the doorman is so unbothered and he says some line where he's like like he asks if like the guy is home and the doorman's like no and then he's like do I look like I care if he's not home and, like, <laughs> And he says something where he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm coming here for a minute. I'm about to make, I'm about to upset your day. And then like, he like tells him something. And again, the butler is just like so unbothered. And the butler's like, I'll try not to be too depressed. And it's so good. So here's the thing about Ned Sparks. Um, In, so I watched a movie called Imitation of Life in school. Imitation of Life is a bad movie. Um, It came out in 1934. But the one saving grace about Imitation of Life is about halfway through Ned Sparks shows up. And I had no idea who he was, but then just he saved the viewing experience because the movie is still bad, but just every couple of scenes, Ned Spark would come in and it's the exact same thing where he's just super deadpan and like clearly annoyed at being in every situation he's in. And then I watched Gold Diggers of 1933, which is also a bad movie. And guess who's also in it? Mm-hmm. Ned Sparks. So Ned Sparks keeps coming into movies and saving them for me. And I got so excited when he showed up. I will say about, this is me, this is me being the most basic person here, is there were two actors in this movie that really, like, I really like Ned Sparks in it too. But for some reason, as soon as he showed up, I was like, this guy just reminds me of like, like the 19th and this is a compliment the 1930s version of tim blake nelson uh that was the vibe i was totally getting from him and i was like oh okay i'm down for a random tim blake nelson-esque person to be in this movie the other person who reminded me of someone in this was the guy who plays the count reminds me of like 
Honestly, it's more like he's doing a bad John Leguizamo impression. Even though I know John Leguizamo obviously was not around at the time. Uh, but anyway, I like the Tim Blake Nelson vibes I got from Happy McGuire, which is Ned Sparks' character. Love him. Yeah, he was really I, I great. I will say, since I am... I assume the world's predominant Ned Sparks uh, scholar. <laughs> I would say he has like the look in some of the like he's like Tim Blake Nelson from Watchmen. But I feel like a lot of people's impression of Tim Blake Nelson is playing more like happy, like go lucky. Characters. I think of him in Ballad he of Buster of, Scruggs. Yeah, I was going to say I, Buster Scruggs. <laughs> but even then, I think I think Buster is happier than happier yeah. than happy. Happy hates the world. It's great. <laughs> God, he is so funny. He reminds funny. me kind of Al Pacino. I want to see, is there a Ned Sparks role where he just plays like a total idiot? Because that, that, honestly, to me, my Tim Blake Nelson role that I think of is he plays Kimmy Schmidt's dad or someone related to Kimmy Schmidt and Kimmy Schmidt, which is a show I don't like, but he's hysterical in it. I, I don't know. Because I kind of, like, part of me wants to watch more Ned Sparks movies. The other part of me just wants to randomly see him pop up in movies unexpectedly. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, oh, oh, this is completely unrelated, but I have to say this because it's in his Wikipedia article. Um, So, the New York Times, in 1936, the New York Times reported that Sparks had his face insured for a $100,000 with Lloyd's of London. The market agreed to pay the sum to any photographer who could capture Sparks smiling. Um, Sparks later admitted that the story was a publicity stunt, and he was only insured for $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> That's still a lot of money. <laughs> I wonder if I would ever caught a picture from Smiley. I just love right. that picture. I'm done. His Wikipedia page article is fantastic also. You should look it up. Just the picture they have. The picture they have is great. Yes. <laughs> I'm, and I'm I've, looking, I've said my I've said my piece about the movie. I've talked about yeah. Ned Sparks. Yeah, I'm literally I mean, just looking at pictures between Ned Sparks and Tim Blake Nelson back where I'm like, yeah, if I if I grayscale the Tim Blake Nelson photo, I could I not need to really look closer see. at this. I'm not sure how, uh, about that. Okay, he Listen, Ned Sparks has Hollywood. bigger eyes. Ned Sparks has bigger eyes. That's about it. Hollywood. Listen up. Here's how we do this. You give me money to make a Ned Sparks biopic and I'll cast Tim Blake Nelson yes. and then I'll do the Alita Battle Angel eyes to make up for the fact that he has smaller eyes, apparently. I, I think the biopic could be about how he insured his face. <laughs> and he went to great efforts to never smile. I think that sounds like a good movie. <laughs> oh, I just looked at the picture of him on Wikipedia. <laughs> All right, we should probably get back to the movie instead of fanboying over this actor. I just, I'm just about to say, there's, oh. there, he has one line in the movie. What is it? He says, like, he's not even part of the shenanigans. He like actively decides that he is not going to help at all. And there's like a part where he goes, like, he says, like, I'm gonna go to the insane asylum. There, they, where they can, it's like where he's like, he's like, where, where they talk sense over there or something like. That. My favorite part of the uh, my favorite line of his is when they're like they're trying to find a, a husband for Annie and they look at him and he goes, I have a wife and she has a thing against me going out and getting married. <laughs> That's the line I remembered. <laughs> but I was, I, I'm, I'm going to take a lap around the room while y'all rain this in. I, I was a little disappointed, though, because the thing was when he said that, I was like, "Ooh, is he going to become I thought he was going to be the poser. Uh, no. But I also was okay because he had still funny stuff for the rest of the movie. Like, 
I do think the the movie in general was like pretty funny. Um, there's another part that I thought was funny. Um, I like the guy that does pose for the husband. Yeah, the judge. judge. Yeah. Uh, let's look up that actor because I looked up the count who is definitely white. Uh, <laughs> although he's well, you can Spanish. be white and Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To I sell get- to sell this con they're doing, they have to get a husband to pose, uh, or so- a man to pose as Annie's husband. So they get a pool hustler named the judge, and because he speaks very eloquently, even though he's just a pool hustler, and both scenes where he pool hustles are is extremely fun. The actor who played the hustler has an egg dish named after him. (laughs) Fun Mm. fact. uh, It is a coal that's cut out of a slice of bread, and then you crack an egg into it, and you fry it all in the skillet. It's called Guy Kibbe Eggs. Fun fact. Um, Fun facts about all the actors this week. Uh, (laughs) um, I do think we got a bit ahead of ourselves to talk about The Hustler, in that... I think the last really nice scene Annie has in this movie is when she comes out in the dress and she just kind of like stands there regally and she just kind of can't even take it in. You know, I don't, that's how I interpret it. So the movie kind of implies at certain points that she comes from money. Um, so for her, like being like to me, it reads as like when she wears these clothes and she talks a certain way it's pretty natural for her. It doesn't like she doesn't, it doesn't really seem like she's like pretending. Um, and I feel like I agree. That's a a good scene when she comes out. I do think that she has one other really good scene towards the end of the movie. There's like a throwaway line when they they say Annie used to always look like that. So that's why I didn't mind her like easily melting into like being a good impersonator of the upper, uh, upper class people because it's, and I feel like, yeah, no, go on. I feel like that blends into um, the empathy that they have for uh, for the poor people in this. And I feel like it's you can almost read it like there is no meaningful, meaningful distinction between a poor person and a rich person. Um, and I think that comes from Capra uh, because every other class comedy I've seen, like there is a struggle and that's a that's a big focus of it like My Fair Lady or The Bride Who Wore Red, um, there's just like this idea that there's some natural barrier that has to be overcome. Where this movie, it's just like, no, these people just had a rough circumstance of it. But except for like, except for the parts where they clearly are uncomfortable having to like play up the thing, uh, play up like high society living, they are all like, very they have a lot of dignity. that was probably my biggest like positive of the movie besides the performances by mr sparks and uh uh the lead actress uh was that i was impressed with how the class stuff was handled considering the time you know uh and how they were never really the butts of jokes like i yeah. don't like never not the poor people like are never butts of jokes well i feel like it's maybe important to note that we really only get like one I guess two characters maybe three if you count the daughter who are like of high society you get you know her fiance Carlo and then you get 
you know, his dad or his dad's hotel. Sorry, the hotel scene does oh, enough to establish that. Yeah, that's that, true. In my opinion, yeah. And the governor at the end. I, yeah, I was I was holding off on the governor. Uh, let's, let's 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 Spoilers. wait to talk about the ending. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, as I said, I have thoughts. I have many. Th- that's where most of my thoughts lie with this movie as the ending. Uh, I even say that the cops are coded as significantly yeah, higher class, not like yeah. high class, but they're middle class, and everyone else in this is very low lower class. And they're they're serving the higher class. That's what's important. Well, yeah. there is a scene where. You know, the police chief calls the the police commissioner and then the police commissioner calls the mayor and it's implied the mayor is in contact with the governor. Um, and that's meant to be kind of a comedic scene about, you know, the hierarchy of, you know, their society. I so, kind of just want to jump to the ending because there's a lot to talk about the dissecting yeah. the ending and how it talks about class. But there, I, I do. Gonna, I, I was going to. F- what? Sorry, go. Yeah, I was going to fast forward a bit unless okay. y'all had anything else to say. Uh, depending um, how far you fast forward to, I don't think I have anything to say right now. <laughs> um, So the middle part of the movie is uh, the daughter comes and they're having a good time. The con is going well. Uh, they have to kidnap a couple reporters who are trying to get close to the count. But, you know, who cares about that? It's revealed of a great, like, classic... New head, head top headline in the New York newspaper is reporter goes missing <laughs> mysteriously. We have no answers where he went. <laughs> and then, uh, well, and especially because all the, the two reporters we've seen at this point were just kind of let off screen. So, like, yes. you kind of think, did they kill them? Yeah, um, I thought they killed them. <laughs> but the problem is, is that the count has not met any of their friends, their high society friends. And he thinks this is a little sus, so they have to throw a reception. And they can't, you know, they can't get actual high society people, so they have to get up, like, every two-bit gangster in the city and start training them to pretend to be high society people so they can have this massive con, um, this massive con, uh, reception. Also, uh, the judge cons, or, uh, hustles the count into pain. I wanted to say that that I like I that is a, that is like one of the few scenes near the end where I was like oh yeah I really like this it was a good payoff to the judge the guy who was pretending okay, to be the so, judge so did the did the count say that it was sus or did he or I thought the judge was just like we're gonna have a party by the way and it's gonna be really fun I thought it was like no, he has a he has a line to his son where he's like it's weird uh, that they've just been you know, taking us on buildings and stuff. Okay, that changes my perception a little bit. I was thinking that I was thinking the judges want to have a party. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I kind of did too, but I, it makes more sense what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it makes significantly more sense. Um, okay, so well, I think that unless Sarah, you have something you want to say about literally the forty forty minutes of the movie, we're kind of glossing over. Um, it depends or, where we come back to. I presume we're going to come back to um, the cops getting Dave the dude and our boy. Well, let me Happy. go a little bit. Okay. Before that, because like I said, there was one scene. I feel like Annie just kind of disappeared. She was just kind of weepy. She was just kind of there, which is fine. Like I thought it was sweet because like she hadn't seen her daughter, so it was meant to be like a mother daughter thing. Her daughter is kind of there as well, um, but she does have one really, really, really well acted scene. Where she's about to tell the count that it's all a lie, that's all a ruse, and 
it's just, I don't know, it's just really well done. And it feels like, I think that when we look at like older acting and older movies, we might, we kind of put it on a scale a little bit. Like we're like, because it's very theatrical back then. So we kind of look at it like it was really good for this movie. But I think if a, if a performance like that was in a movie today, I think that it could stand up still really well. Oh, no, I think she's good in this. I think she's good in general in this. Um, she's, it's a very gentle, gentle and vulnerable scene. Um, in a movie that had just been kind of hijinks beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really sticks out. Um, I think this would be a good time because I, when we talk about the ending, I wanted to actually talk about the ending for me to talk about my general, I don't know. So this was remade by Frank Capra at the end of his career with a movie called uh, pocket full of sunshine. Just kidding. Uh, pocket of Mir- pocket full of miracles. Uh, and uh, I, I think I'd be interested in seeing this movie remade in general with the idea of focusing it more on Apple Annie. I think the fact that she essentially disappears for the second half of the movie, besides the scene you're mentioning, is weird. I think I'd be more interested in seeing like her feelings on deceiving her daughter. And I understand that probably wasn't really a consideration, uh, you know, when this came out. I think this movie would have a different ending. If someone remade it today, like even as a like, say you remade it as a period piece in the same time, I don't think it would at all have the same ending it does. And I'm not talking about the stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, I don't, think you, could. I'm talking I don't think you about could have her. like the ending that it has now if you made you, it now. I'm saying her. Do y'all what? Sorry. Do y'all think that like there could be class comedies made today? Like in the sense of there is usually a woman and we have to make the woman up to pretend to be high class. And then at the end it's revealed. Don't we case, still have that? that she's like miscongeniality is kind of like that, isn't it? Didn't the I mean, class comedy win? Didn't the class comedy win best picture a couple years ago? Yeah. Just two years ago, class comedy won best picture. It's true. Knives best out movie. is also a class comedy. I'd say. Oh, parasite. Yeah. yeah. Parasite is kind of a class comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But I just think that these kind of movies celebrate high society in a way where like, we don't even have high society like they used to. That's why I'm saying you have to change the ending. Because uh, yeah. the ending of this puts, to me, kind of throws out the commentary aspect of it to say, well, the the high society class can show some sympathy to the lower class. Yeah, that they makes can them be ultimately nice. pretty good. Like, they can yeah. be good. And I, there's no criticism. That's why I'm like, this cannot end the way it does. Uh and I'm actually though before we get into that I'm right now though I'm more referring to the idea of ending it with her continuing to lie to her daughter. That's what I'm referring to because I feel like yeah. nowadays if this movie was made there'd be a big focus on her being like I have to lie because I need to keep up this lie. But I think nowadays we all society just always agrees with these type of movies or any type of movie that like hey lying's bad you know like and I they, have to say I didn't realize this until until like just now but there's also a really big plot point in Guys and Dolls about a character that lies like for her entire life basically and she also doesn't ever really have any consequences with that so I find that it's like a weird like author trademark I guess Do y'all think it's fine cuz I was wondering why that didn't bug me Danny um, oh, it bugged and me. I think there's probably a lot of <laughs> I I think there's a lot of armchair psychology I could get into about why it didn't bug me, but I think part of it is that she was willing to confess and then she just didn't have to. That's true. Um, that does help. So I wonder if 
Well, that yeah. was kind of her like. But I think I think you make a good point. That was kind of her like Cinderella moment, right? Like her like she's a good she's a good woman, so she deserves a happy ending, like that kind of moment. Yeah, I would like. I don't know. My thing is is okay. Let's get into the the. Uh, that, I want to kind of move past this remake thing, but I do want to just kind of wrap it up. Is that I don't think it's necessary. I'm not saying it's necessary for the count and the husband to know. Or, you know, the fiance to know, but I do feel like the daughter not finding out and keeping it a secret for her mom and saying that she still loves her mom anyway kind of ruins the emotional catharsis of this because her daughter, it still is kind of like, oh, she loves she loves the rich mom. You know, like it's it, it, it it's not that she loves the money, but she's like, you know, because she's like, oh, what are you going to say to me? I'm going to love you no matter what. And she's like, no, you won't. And we don't really see if she will or not. You can say that you still love someone because they don't, even if they don't have money. But until we see it, I don't necessarily buy what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. But anyway, so now we'll actually get into the part of the ending that doesn't have to do for continuing to lie. Uh, <laughs> uh, someone else lead again. Yeah, so, uh, so the dude, the dude and uh, Happy get arrested. And the police chief is like, I'm going to tell the mayor, even though he's at a party with the governor, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be, like, such a hero for this. And the dude is trying to, like, talk him out of it, uh, but we don't really see it working. And then uh, Annie does her scene where she's going to confess, and just as she's about to say that she was lying, the music starts up at the party, and they all go out. And the butler announces that the mayor has arrived to the party. Um, and he's like, Annie, it's so good to see you, blah, blah, blah. And then he announces that the governor has arrived at the party. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I will admit, though, um, it's probably the filmmaking and the acting on Robson. Uh but I did still, even though I was very iffy about the whole thing, like morally, in my, my like in my chest, I was like, Ugh. Um, I did get that, those like Capra feelings, you know. It definitely is a very a happy ending for There's sure. There's a segment where like they're giving a police escort so that the count and the daughter can go off and all that stuff, and literally it cuts to every car and everyone having their own like resolution and happy yes. ending. It is so Capra. Yeah, and like I, I feel like. I want Annie to get her happy ending, but I really don't care about anyone else. <laughs> like everyone else, I'm like, you guys are all kind of assholes. So like, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I have to point out. By the way, we're saying that it's so Capra, but like, Capra worked with, uh, with Riskin for multiple films. Like all of basically all of Capra's nominations for directing, Riskin was also nominated. And they ended their working relationship because Riskin claimed that Capra was like <laughs> taking all, all well, of the credit for his work. I was saying oh, this no. before though we recorded it. It's like Capra esque is become a I description because I was saying when I read reviews for the new Pixar movie Soul, a lot of the reviews were like, oh, this is very Capra esque. So it's just the way people describe things. I'm not trying to be like I guess I am. That means Riskin was right. That means he was right. We need to call up all these people who wrote reviews of Soul and be like, you need to mention Riskin in your reviews. It's very Riskin-esque. But okay, I want to talk about what we didn't mention before we break into the class stuff of this. It's that 
these journalists have been kidnapped. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, it's a funny story, but we, you guys can't talk about it because we got to have this woman we're having inning and we can't have this. So these, in my mind, these, these journalists, right? They spent the entire movie kidnapped by gangsters somewhere locked up. And then the governor fair, tells the them nicest they can't. gangsters ever. Well, the, I'm guessing the governor tells them, no, you can't talk about this in your stories because we can't ruin this for the woman like that we just did this good deed to. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. That, that was my but takeaway. Their cover-up story. <laughs> their, I, love the, I love how they say their cover-up story. And I'm going to start saying this in real life. They're like, you're going to say that you were out on a drunk, which I have never heard before. <laughs> so yeah, they're like, these, these journalists have to ruin the careers for this woman and they weren't doing anything wrong i feel like we, something something else that we didn't that we didn't talk about which is kind of important is like why the police wanted to like find the journalists it wasn't necessarily because they were concerned about the journalists it was because the remaining journalists were writing stories about how bad the police were capra says a cab a capra uh sorry <laughs> uh but okay, so yeah, there's that whole thing, which is yeah. But then also, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the implication of this class comedy is a happy ending will be given to you by the higher class who just wants to give you charity. And I mean, that's that's every class comedy. Yeah, like, every class comedy is. I guess I'm used charity to the... is bestowed to this one individual. I guess I just. I guess I don't really watch older class comedies to the point where, like, to be to be clear, the journalism stuff does bother me more here. Uh, but I couldn't help thinking, but like the, I think Annie deserves what she gets at the end to a degree. Like I'm like I'm happy for you, Annie, but the gangsters getting off scot free for. Like they're funny gangsters, but they did still kidnap innocent people. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I feel like there's there's this part of the movie that just it makes it feel like it's saying the whole thing is like it's saying all class is arbitrary and this stuff. And I think that's part of the ending is just being like, yeah, everyone in the high class has acknowledged that it's arbitrary, and we're gonna let this one woman have a happy ending. Yeah, there are some larger sociological problems with that. But I also think that's kind of fun. I guess. I don't know. Again, I'm just hung up on the journalists who spent weeks, like, in prison. Oh. <laughs> they, they had, they, yes, no, they got a raw deal. <laughs> and then they had to say, oh, we were drunk. <laughs> we were out on a drunk. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, they won't get right they won't get arrested be, for being out on a drunk because <laughs> prohibition has ended yeah congrats guys uh anyway all right uh i think i made my opinion on this pretty clear anyone else have anything else they want to say before we do our awards i again i just want to say it's a lot like guys and dolls that's all i can say like that's all i can say <laughs> It's because, like, that was all I could think of when I saw Damon, because I really like Guys and Dolls, but, like, just thinking about it, like, the lying and the police, like, the police are really weird in Guys and Dolls as well. Um, so I think it's interesting to see this, like, much earlier work and see, you know, these patterns, kind of with Capra, where you see these, like, patterns that are risking <laughs> <laughs> that are very similar. So, yeah. I gotta, I gotta call up Pete Doctor and be like, 
But I did see him say also in an interview where he was like, I was inspired by Frank Crapper for the ending of this movie. And someone needs to call him out. If he can't be the head of Pixar and be spreading such lies. <laughs> time to time to cancel him. <laughs> Just at Pete Doctor, you're canceled for not acknowledging this kid. Guys, <laughs> on this episode, Brad Bird watching. <laughs> Uh, what should we call the doctor? Oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now we do our awards. First, we got to give it an award. As a reminder, it is nominated for four Oscars. It's nominated for Best Picture, which you can't give it. Can't give it Best Director. No, Best Director you could give Frank Capra. You can give it Best Actress for Mae Robson. And you can give it something else that I forget. Hold on. I'm best Screenplay. <laughs> screenplay. That's a screenplay. Okay. Um, I can go first because I never go first. Maybe I do. I don't know. But I you go, go first. first every time. Fine. I won't go first. You go first. No, go first. go first. Go no, first. No, I'm going in the middle now. I'm going in the middle now because I never go in the middle. That actually is true. I do never go in the middle because I'm the one who leads the awards. You go, Sarah. Um, okay. Uh, um, I guess I would probably give it, uh, screenplay because I thought it was funny. I wow. You some... hate women. You want to take an Oscar away from a woman? Sorry. I'm just, I just want justice from a boy, Riskin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Did we Riskin can get ever win? Riskin Capra movies in this universe. Did Riskin, Riskin ever won win? for, he won for It Happened One oh, Night. Oh, of course, yeah, because it swept. Of course, yeah, that makes sense. Um, But I think he was also nominated for, he was nominated for Mr. Deeds, and you can't, you can't take, take it with, it with you. you. Yeah. Cool. All right. But yeah, I thought there were some genuinely really funny um, moments in it. And I don't know if that came down to like the actors um, or, you know, the script or a combination of both. But I thought it was funny. It was a funny little script. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so Daddy that's agrees with me. <laughs> Daddy disagrees. Um, okay. I would also give it a death to screenplay. Uh, I hate women too. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I only hate the little one. No, because uh, it, but it's more of a process of elimination thing. I don't think this is Capra's best work, so I don't feel comfortable giving him it. I think this is the type of movie where a few years later, May Robinson might have won supporting actress because I really don't think she's lead after the first twenty minutes. Uh, which is kind of though. To be fair, that happens today still. I think Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, for example, is kind of like that too, uh, where she's the lead for the first twenty minutes and then isn't. Sidebar. Uh, but my point is, I do think she'd put in supporting if there was a supporting actress category. And anyway, uh, and then so I guess it's just adapted screenplay is left. So I would give it is a decent screenplay. I just don't like the ending. Uh, and the like the scenes like the hotel stuff. And one thing we didn't mention that I really like is the arrival of the count and the fiance and of course the daughter when our boy Ned Sparks starts a fight. <laughs> this cracks the cops. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I would also go for adapted screenplay. Ro- Robeson was nominated, right? Yeah. Whatever her name is. May. Yeah. Oh no, she definitely deserves it. She gives an amazing performance here. See, um, she's not in it a lot. She's not in it a lot. I'll grant you that. But like the scene she is, she left an impact. And if I remember anything from this movie besides Ned Sparks, it's going to be her. I, I will say I want to say this before we move on is I, I grief to a degree. Uh, if I was allowed to hypothetically 
nominate Mae Robson as my extra nomination in supporting actress and then let her win that. I would, because I don't really think she's totally a lead. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not what the rules that we're going by. So I, I'm not doing that. Uh, I mean, yeah, they didn't have a they didn't have this wasn't lead, right? This was just best actress back in the day. Mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now, Caleb, you get to add a nomination. Oh, is there any question? Best supporting actor to my boy, Ned Sparks. I did not think I'd ever get to recognize him <laughs> like I have here. I love him so much. I think I think you could also give uh, a sporn actor to the guy who plays the judge, and uh, I think if we're gonna if we're gonna give movies like uh, like Aerosmith cinematography, I think this has equally good cinematography, if not better. Um, so anyway, uh, but no, Ned Sparks hands uh, down. on the record. I totally disagree on the Aerosmith comment in cinematography. Uh, Sarah, do you want to on the record disagree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really can't think of any like standout moments in this movie that would be quote just as good unquote as. <laughs> okay, so that's on the record. Um, so here's the thing. First off, I'm gonna cheat for a second and say what I would give it if it was an a, an award at the Oscars, but it isn't. But it should be. Is I think this would be a prime contender for the SAG Best Ensemble Award because I think everyone does their part really well, and I don't think there's any real standouts. And if uh, I'm just saying that, like, if I could do that, I would. And if there was an ensemble category at the Oscars, I'd obviously give it that. Uh, otherwise, I don't really feel comfortable giving it to Ned. Uh, I don't think he does that much in the movie other than be funny, which I understand it's a comedy. I will give supporting actor to the guy who, uh, what's his face? Uh, guy Kibbe, who plays the hustler. Who's the husband? Uh, I would go with that. He's, he's really good. Yeah, I think he has a bit yeah. more to do, uh, like in his like emotional support of Annie, and I also think he still has funny scenes. Like he is, it's more of a versatile role. Even though I do like Ned Sparks in it. Um. Yeah. I mean, I would say obviously Ned Sparks, but you know, for for another option, um, I would probably go with Warren William for Best Actor who played Dave the Dude, because Dave the dude. I think that, like, in general, at awards, like, comedic performances are really underrated. Yeah, and, no, I agree with that. Sorry. I just want to, I, I do agree with that. Yeah. And I thought he was really consistently funny throughout. I mean, he really was dedicated to a part that was kind of, it was probably, like, marketed to him as being not, that substantial of a role despite the fact that he is the lead um obviously he wasn't nominated for anything i just feel like he he was kind of a an mvp in a little in a little sense of the word i do think he's good um just not my pick but that's a good pick i think the acting is the strong as i said i think the acting is the strongest point of this movie so nice we all have different actors to shout out that's cool um Okay, so that's our podcast this week. Now we got to announce what we're doing in two weeks. It will be our first two-part episode. Because at the seventh Academy Awards, there were two films that got four nominations but no wins. We're going to start with the one that got the higher profile nomination, though. Um, You know what I mean? The the higher profile. And then we'll do the second one as our part two, two weeks after that. So I'm not going to tell you what the second one is. Well, the first one we're doing is on HBO Max and is a pretty popular older film. It is 
Drum roll, please. Me doing my blowhorn for my drum roll. Um, no, I was I was trying to do a drum roll, but it didn't oh, sound you. like one. No, no, but I was doing... <laughs> thank you, Caleb. I saw that you actually did a drum roll. Um, it is W.S. Van Dyke's The Thin Man. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, have you seen I it? Seen I, I haven't seen it either. I've never uh, seen it. It's on HBO Max. It's a very popular older movie, and it is a... It is a, I think it's a comedy noir. I'm not sure, but I am okay with that. I'm down for something that's a bit, well, this was funny, but this is, The Fifth Man is considered a classic, like a really, and I know Morocco was, but I'm a bit more optimistic about something that's meant to be more comedic. So, um, all right, we'll see you then. But first we got to sign off. I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Mints. Uh, you can also follow this podcast on twitter at snub the which is a dumb handle i know sorry and you can also follow us on something else that sarah will say because i always forget the name of our instagram handle uh and yeah i'm on letterboxes blank mints i forget if i said that or not you did say that <laughs> well now they know twice follow me twice uh and yeah, I have another podcast too called Wise with Ty and Dan. That's on everything that we're on. Yeah, you can find me on on Letterboxd under my name, Sarah Kanoff, K-N-A-U-F. Um, you can find me on Instagram, uh, SGK29. That's uh, also on Instagram is we are Snub Club Podcast, something like that. Just look up Snub Club. You'll find us. Um, and... Uh, Twitter, same thing, SGK29. Well, everyone, you can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram uh, and YouTube. And you can check out uh, me on Letterboxd at The Myth King. I also have a bunch of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, where me and my roommate talk about uh, movies that we can ironically enjoy. Uh, All New 52, where we talk about comics. And Star Wars Therapy, where we talk about a certain sci-fi franchise. I'll let you guess what it is. Uh, But follow me everywhere there. We will see you guys in two weeks with The Thin Man. Bye. Bye. Bye.